Today is the second Sunday of Advent, which is a more reflective time that centers on themes like hope and waiting as we prepare for Christmas, similar to how we mark Lent leading up to Easter in the spring. And throughout the year here at BLC, we visit a lot of different texts in the Bible, um, but every year in Advent, we return to the same stories over and over again. The birth narratives of Jesus in the Gospels and the Hebrew poetry that they creatively attach to Jesus, scriptures that hold up Jesus as Emmanuel or God with us. And there's something really formative and important about these texts and rhythms. It's a time to be more intentional about building rituals and traditions. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly the point of uh, what we try to lean into during these high seasons in the church calendar. So uh, during Advent, um, it's always... Uh, it's, a, it's a time that my family is just more intentional and has more routines around prayer that we don't necessarily have throughout the rest of the year. So uh, we have some resources that uh, Brownline wants to help um, other, you know, if you're in your households and your families uh, with your friend groups um, to facilitate that. Uh, this is BLC's uh, Advent uh, mealtime prayers. And so they're meant to be shared with friends or family or roommates uh, around a table, like around a meal. Uh, we encourage you to set aside time to try this, especially if you have kids. Uh, prayer can feel like a good idea, like you know, just like I was you know, mentioning this morning, but it's hard to do alone maybe. Uh, maybe it feels awkward or difficult uh, to pray uh, in a group around a table. Perhaps it wasn't modeled for you as a kid, or perhaps was what was modeled for you in terms of prayer as a kid doesn't really work for you anymore. Uh, so we think that these can help. Every Sunday, we're going to release our the, the, the mealtime Advent prayer for the week, and you try to set aside some time that week to do it. We'll, we'll send them out on email, they'll go out on Discord, and they'll go out uh, on Instagram. Uh, so wherever uh, you get your information, you'll see them. And it just takes one person to lead through the resource, to read through. There's uh, a bit of uh, a song, if you'd like to, like we've been doing O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We sing a, uh, an additional verse every Sunday, so you can do that if you'd like to. Uh, you can light candles if you have them and uh, play a ridiculous um, betting game with them. Don't do that. Uh, and then there's some questions to reflect and share. Uh, and then uh, additionally, if you are looking for a daily devotional uh, for Advent, uh, because it, again, it can be a time that you're going to lean into those extra practices, we highly recommend Kate Bowler's Bless the Advent that we actually have. And that is available on her website, katebowler.com. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's what we got. Yeah. So Vince, I would love for you to set the stage. You already kind of mentioned the passage that we're going to look at mm -hmm, today, mm -hmm. and we had that really wonderful protest song. So would you set the stage yeah. for that um, yeah. for us today? Uh, yes. So the passage we're reading is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 56, Mary's song, or the Magnificat, um, which uh, we sang selections from. And um, so what's just happened, and this is from Luke's story, uh, Luke's Christmas story of Jesus's birth, uh, is that the angel Gabriel has appeared to Mary and told her that though she is a virgin, she will have a son, Jesus, who will bring about God's kingdom. And like Paul McCartney, she has replied, let it be. And uh, a, vir a virgin birth um, is kind of the point of this, this passage. A virgin birth is a noble, like, an incredible story that demands attention, right? A virgin birth, what? And so uh, that's a really important piece for Luke's story and for Matthew's uh, story as well of what's going on here because stories of noble birth were a big thing in Jesus's day. The noble birth stories everyone would have been familiar with is the noble birth of the Roman emperor, the Caesar. The, look at these miraculous circumstances that establish this person's right to be in power and 
they would, there would be stories told of the Caesar at the time, look at their noble birth. It's not unlike the way like we Americans, like we love rags to riches stories and those sort of establish why somebody is a good business person, right? Because look, they, they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, right? So th this is what would happen in the Roman world is people would tell noble birth stories. Look at these miraculous circumstances. And so the Christmas stories of Jesus' noble birth, which just fade into the background because we've heard about the virgin birth so many times and heard Silent Night every November until December, you know, every single year. We just, like, we don't even think about it, but it's actually a subversion of something that happened a lot in the ancient world. It's, it's a subversion. It's saying Jesus is an alternative king to the Roman king. This kingdom, God's kingdom, is an alternative kingdom to the violent Roman empire. It's making a statement, a, a social statement, a political statement, and that's the context of the Christmas stories in the Bible. So we want to look, we want to be on the lookout for, oh, we're, we're, we're doing something subversive, we're doing something resistancy, and that's why we have a protest song sort of right in the middle of the story. So listen for the uh, resistance language, the protest language, as Haley reads the uh, uh, Mary song, and sort of imagine her like singing it to her unborn child, Jesus. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So this is one of my favorite passages, and I'm really glad that we return to it each year, mostly because I'm convinced that Mary is the actual main character of the Christmas story. <laughs> uh, but this year, I'm really experiencing Mary's song as a song of longing. Mm. If we turn the he has reflections, the he has filled the hungry, he has brought down rulers, he has helped to serve in Israel, all of these things, if we turn them into he will statements, it embodies the hope that Mary has for this baby she is carrying and hopes for God's presence in the world. It's both a song of certainty and of openness. What she's naming are things that we still long for today, which is maybe why this passage resonates so mm. much. Mm -hmm. So we have this song of longing, and longing is a common theme of Advent. So I would love for us to spend some time this morning around this theme, especially as it relates to Mary's song. Mm. So Vince, I'm wondering for you, does a personal story around longing come to mind? Yeah, you, yeah, you asked us to think about stories of longing. Yes. And what, I, I, what immediately came to mind was a period of time years ago when Kezi and I experienced living below the poverty line and being on Medicaid, government-assisted health insurance. Um, and there was, there was a lot of... Um, there was a lot of longing. This was uh, post-2008 uh, recession, so many people didn't have work, even though they'd done all the things they were supposed to, go to college, and you know, and, and um, then it was supposed to, the life was just supposed to be laid out for you. Mm -hmm. And so we were among those. And, um, and so I remember longing for better work. I remember longing for 
more financial stability, um, longing to not have to like be just so on top of budgeting uh, because it felt like we just couldn't do some of the things that our peers could. Um, specifically with Medicaid, I it's so complicated and confusing, and I wonder if anybody else has an experience of being on Medicaid before. We were longing for just like clarity, answers, a, a person and not a voicemail. Mm -hmm. Like there, there are like four different offices that would send us mail and it was never clear to me who was the actual health insurance provider, who was an administrator that was like taking care of the administration for that health insurance provider, who was the government that was being the way that would pay for it. And like, I, I just yeah. never understood who was writing me or who was calling us or who was telling us things. And so like part of what we came away with was during that stretch was realizing how much more hard this must be for people whose first language is in English or for people who uh, like don't, didn't grow up in, you know, like uh, sort of accustomed to American bureaucratic culture, you know, like where there's these big offices and administrators and they all talk to each other. Like I at least have some background in that just because I grew up white middle class. And, but like if you don't know those things, there is, I mean, like there, there are so many obstacles to people just getting like a, a, a doctor's appointment with their primary care physician, let alone if they have a serious medical issue. And so I think that our longing turned to like a longing, not just for clarity for ourselves, but a longing for our country. Like this is inaccessible. And even if, even if supposedly the money and the, the, um, like the, the intent is there, is anybody taking advantage of this? Because it's so complicated, I just can't see it. So we're just longing for something different. We're longing for a better system. We're longing for healthcare to not be tied to employment that gets us in that situation in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, a story of longing, or really just experiences of longing comes to mind uh, surrounding peak COVID times. Yeah. yeah. And I had found out that I was pregnant right at the tail end of 2019 and immediately had expectations of what that would look like. Mm. And instead, I was extremely sick for most of it with morning sickness, which really should be called all day sickness. Um, and then the world shut down. Yeah. Um, and even more of my expectations completely fell apart there. Yeah. None, none of what you thought was going to happen to happen. Yeah. yeah. And I, I remember really just longing to see family, especially my parents, mm. longing to see friends, longing to have some sense of normalcy. Maybe you can relate yeah. to this feeling. Um, longing for the anxiety to lessen around getting sick, especially once Ollie was born and out in the world and really vulnerable. But like your story of longing that started with yourself and then it became a longing on behalf of others, yeah. which I think is really common. Um, there's this longing to see healing instead of death, for comfort instead of grief, for justice instead of violence and despair. And so it's interesting how our longings have this ripple effect beyond just us. Yeah, yeah. I can I can I tell one more longing story just because it happened yeah. last night. Um, I'm I was watching the uh, the NBA in season championship uh, last night, and there's a bunch of commercials for. Uh, there, there's like a theme of commercials. They're all from the same um, group at, that are like these little like anecdotes about um, a little bit of what I was like mentioning before about like you you do all the right things years you know you 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 jump through all the hoops that you're supposed to but then um, the, for for people born after 1980 it's like wait so um, uh, d when do I get the job and when does all my debt disappear you know so it's kind of like it's little anecdotes that are grabbing at that and I was like I was I was like oh oh what is this you know what, what what is this for and it's one of those ads that like they don't they don't even like tell you what it's for it's just like like a, a line at the end and so you have to go Google it yeah. and so I go and Google it and it's a cryptocurrency. 
that's just doing this. And I was I just, I sat there in this moment, I was just like, could there be anything more inaccessible than like a cryptocurrency being the one that's like speaking for our longings? I was like, this is so stupid. Like uh, the tech bros are gonna save us? Like that's, <laughs> that's what I should put my hope in? You know, like it just, it just felt like unbelievable. Like uh, th my longing needs to be grabbed at and captured by something yeah. better than freaking Silicon Valley idiots who think that like, oh, you know what? You, you're, uh, you, you, uh, you, you feel like there's no way forward in your life? cryptocurrency and it's like, <laughs> what like no like th that is that is not the way forward for justice so instead we have mary's song mary's song as an as an as a and a like a, a foil to and, cryptocurrency please. yes <laughs> so switching gears here a little bit you have suggested the writing of monica coleman yes. to help guide our time um as we're talking through Advent this year. So she is a womanist theologian, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and some of her language we found really helpful. So I was hoping that you could kind of recap that language for us as yeah. we get into our conversation. Yeah, what well, we brought in last week, this uh, Coleman has this phrase, making a way out of no way, which is a, an important phrase in the history of black Americans uh, and civil rights. Uh, Coleman, uh, her goal in her book, Making a Way Out of No Way, is to uh, unpack the social and religious experience of black women to develop a picture of God. If we start with the experience of black women, what is our picture of God? Who is God? Where in life might we recognize God? And, uh, and, and her idea is God is the one that makes a way out of no way. The call forward, the, the force of love that gives us courage. Uh, we use this like push and pull language, right? Mm -hmm. the, the pull lovingly calling you, the push that gives you the courage to cooperate. Um, anytime you feel trapped or stuck or, um, it, you know, but then you carry on in spite of that, that is God. That's God making a way of no way. That's how you recognize where God is. And so uh, we, we love this is it because it's a conception of God that can, you know, that can apply to anybody. It can truly connect all because we all inevitably experience loss, limitations, mm -hmm. being stuck, being hopeless, suffering. That is across the board, the human condition. And at the same time, it helps us acknowledge that we don't all face those things in the same amount or in the same frequency. And so uh, Monica Coleman, as a liberation theologian, would say that the God of the Bible we see is especially on the side of those who feel trapped more than others for systemic reasons, the, 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 the oppressed, the marginalized. And so, uh, again, her, her work is specifically starting with the experience of black women. Uh, so God's salvation then, from this definition, salvation is we, we've talked we've talked about like the difference between salvation and when we come from a liberation perspective versus a soul saving perspective on uh, on um, on theology, and so uh, God's salvation is not unbelievers being saved with right belief; it is people who are dehumanized being brought personhood. That is what it means to be saved. Um, and so, yeah, we, I, I, we felt like this was a really, really helpful way to get down into what's going on in those Christmas stories. Yes, yeah, especially, I mean, that definition, definition of salvation, of humanizing the dehumanized is so important. And it... I think it's helpful to remember that it goes both ways, which is really key to this passage. We often think of it as uplifting the marginalized and oppressed, which it is, but it's also leveling those who have taken on this godlike status. Yes, yes, hold yes. the power. That's dehumanizing too. That's dehumanizing as well. Mm. Um, 
which is why the powerful need to be brought down and the rich sent away. Mm. Their humanization is actually essential for liberation of all people. Yeah. And I think that we can we forget that it goes both ways there. Otherwise, the rich tech bros believe they're the ones that can save us. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so something that I would love for us to think about this morning is this guiding question, um, does our longing make a difference? So when we're longing to see things in different ways, does the actual process of longing, of praying, of connecting with God, does that make a difference? Because it can feel really helpless when we are witnessing things not as they should be while longing for what they could be. So does our hope actually matter? Mm. Does prayer and looking to God for comfort and deliverance does make it do a anything? difference? Yes. Does it yeah. do anything? Mm-hmm. Because when we look around, it does not seem like the proud are scattered and the humble are lifted up and the hungry are fed. What do we do with that? Mm-hmm. What do we do when our longings feel impossible? And how do we stay hopeful and not fall into cynicism? Mm-hmm. So this is where uh, Monica Coleman, we mentioned, she's a liberation speaker on God and salvation, on theology. And uh, the other word that we use to describe is womanist, which is a specific uh, uh, perspective, uh, particularly coming out of black women's experience. And one of the contributions womanism has made to the to ideas about God is to push this idea that a truly good and loving God has to be able to be experienced even if liberation is still in process, it hasn't completed yet, or even if liberation fails due to evil. Because that happens. Like, again, when your starting point is the experience of black women in America, this is really important because there are many ways in which women of color are not as free as others in our society. So she's really trying to push this. If your God can only be seen in like the, 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 the finish line of liberation, that's kind of also a small God. We need to have something more there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so the key themes in womanist theology are survival and quality of life. God is found in surviving in spite of evil. I mean, that is, that is something that the world needs to hear. God is found in carving out quality of life in spite of experiencing not full freedom. That's so, so important that we have an ability when we look around and are trying to expect, like, where, do we, where might I see God? That we see God in survival and quality of life. Those are just as much God making a way out of no way. Yeah. And I think that that, that both and is so important, that it's survival and quality of life and in full liberation kind of helps us navigate the middle ground or what theologically might be called the now and the not yet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when we think of salvation as humanized, humanizing the dehumanized, it's important that we don't fall into all or nothing thinking with this. Whenever we witness or participate in leveling power, it's a victory along that trajectory yes. of justice and even, hope. Even if it's not fully there yet or not, yes. what we're, not, not, the, not the end goal. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it can be so easy to feel like there's no progress, there's no hope for a just future. But is that thinking actually helpful? No, right, right. Because I think that despair and bitterness and cynicism are stagnant. They're really limiting. But being hopeful that our longings could come to be, that God can make a way out of no way, is fuel for actually partnering with God and participating in justice. Both Trisha Hersey and Cole Arthur Riley, who have been reading a lot of lately, they both speak about imagination as really necessary parts of liberation. And so there's this great quote that I'd love to pull from Cole Arthur Riley when she talks about lament and longing. Um, I've been thinking about this since I read her book, This Here Flesh. She writes... In laments, our task is never to convince someone of the brokenness of this world. It is to convince them of the world's worth in the first place. 
True lament is not born from that trite sentiment that the world is bad, but rather from a deep conviction that it is worthy of goodness. Mm. And so what does it look like to act from a place that the world is worthy of goodness, that we, our communities, all of humanity is worthy of goodness? So I wonder here if we can tie in some things from Monica Coleman to help flesh yeah. this out. And I mean, the thing that I'm thinking of is I think about like starting, we, we talked a little bit last, um, in Lent last year, where um, the idea of the, the start of the, of the flow of the river is um, the world is, um, is loved, human beings are loved, and somewhere along the line, hurt and, um, and pain and regret lead us to make harmful choices, sinful choices, to use the religious language. And we have to, we have to figure out what to do with that, right? Like that, that's sort of a reality. But that being a very different message than the, the, like the, the start of the river is total depravity, right? Like everything is, is just garbage and awful and going to hell in a handbasket until God comes in. It's very different when we start with, no, the world is worthy of saving. The world is good. There is, there is good in human beings. There is good in what is around us. There is good in our cultures. There is good in our realities. And, uh, and, 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 and we have to figure out what to do with the fact that so much gets broken and, uh, and corrupt along the way. But it's not that that's like, you know, core to it. What's core to it is it, it's lovable, it's good. And I, I think about, um, we, we introduced this language last week of um, Monica Coleman's view is more like God, um, God breaks through and, and an emergence from uh, God is with us all the time rather than God is sort of outside of the world judging it like, oh man, what a terrible thing and I have to break in and make it good. Rather, God is, God is here. God is already here. The goodness in, in all of us, the goodness in all of, our, all of our societies and cultures is here already because God is interwoven in everything and we're looking for God to break through, not for that God to come from outside and break in. And I think Mary's song captures the idea that um, when we pray, when we, when we say he will rather than, you know, he has in the past, we are not, that, Mary's song doesn't strike me as like patiently, passively waiting, mm -hmm. right? It strikes me as actively joining in, looking at the uncertainty of the future or, you know, by, by claiming the beauty of the past, right? And saying, we will make a way out of no way. I mean, that's, that's what I see there. And that, I think like, that makes me think that prayer matters, right? Mm -hmm. That makes me think that like that's the, does this make a difference? Yes, it absolutely makes a difference if what we are longing for is breakthrough, not the God who you know, could break in at any point but frustratingly doesn't to break in. We're waiting for breakthrough. Yes. Um, to me, that, that, that turns the idea of prayer on its side. Yes, and I think it helps shape our understanding of the miraculous too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'd love to bring in another story. This isn't really a Christmas story, but I think it's helpful to our conversation um, because this week it, it was really brought to mind as we we're talking through um, this topic of longing. And um, this is a story later in another gospel in the book of John. And there's a man in need of healing. He's been lying by this pool that is said to bring about healing, but he can't get to the waters, and he's been sick for a really long time. And Jesus approaches him and asks, do you want to be made well before he actually heals him? And I always thought that this was the strangest question, because of course he wants to be healed. But more recently, I've seen this as Jesus allowing the man to name his own longings instead of just acting out of a place of assumption and power. 
being allowed to name what we are longing for and what we need, this restores personhood. It's mm. salvation. Mm -hmm. It's humanizing. Mm -hmm. So I'd love for us to consider, are we listening to others to hear what they are crying out for instead mm. of assuming what they need? Do we have space to name our own longings and needs? Are people doing that for us? Exactly. Yeah, yes. And I've also started to think of this question communally, which is where this really ties in here, not just individually. Because communally, societally, there's a desire for things to be different, and yet it can't just stay as desire. It has to transform into concrete action and change. So do you want to be made well then isn't a ridiculous question because it requires our follow through. This is an invitation. Do you want to participate in being made well? Do you want to participate in seeing things be more whole, more just, more hopeful? And so it's this tension between thoughts and prayers and actions and change that that tension can actually be quite divisive. Yeah. But you were naming before, you're helping us see that we need both of these. Yes, yeah. Um, and maybe the course correction for some of us could actually be the encouragement that your thoughts and prayers do matter. Separating prayer from action doesn't need to be a thing. They don't need to be set against, in fact, they shouldn't be set against exactly. each other. It, it, if we set them against each other, both will fail, I think. Yes. yes. But because we need the source of hope that will connect us if we're going to keep going in the long run of navigating injustice after injustice. Yeah. Um, and I think that really this gets at the, the rooted and open language that we use here, that we need mm. to be rooted in something, something hopeful, so that we can be open to how the future is unfolding and how we can partner with a loving God in that unfolding process. Absolutely. I mean, we've just spent this last fall, our theme all fall was societal burnout, if you were with us, and we're tracing this story of how what has become the automatic assumption of like what is a full life, and I think in, for our discussion here during Advent, what would be included in a full life is like justice. What, what, uh, what we assume a full life is, is busyness. Mm -hmm. To be busy is to have a full life. And we have a love-hate relationship with that because we kind of hear that and we think, oh God, I hope that's not what I believe. But we do kind of love it because when you feel busy, you feel important and you feel like you're in high demand. And so busyness is sort of, you know, like without the idea of a rootedness to a tradition, without the idea of a source of hope that I, that I would argue is spiritual, that busyness of we're just going to fix things, we're just going to fix things. Well, it's either going to burn you out or you're going to put your hope in the tech bros to like fix things. Like there is, with, without a sense of like we are, we are tied to a tradition that has for generations upon generations upon generations made a way out of no way. When long before there was, you know, cryptocurrency or technology, you know, like those are, those are the the things that if we can if we can root ourselves in have a chance to change what we are longing for mm -hmm. to level and 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 humanize those who are godlike status bringing them down and those who are oppressed bringing them up i mean like that's the way of you know like the the Dr. Kings and the Mahatma Gandhis and the Cesar Chavez's, you know, who've, who've actually seen mass movement. Uh, in, it's because they were rooted in those kinds of traditions, not because they were just, they were insistent that their busyness could fix everything. And I think without that rootedness, like that, we're, 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 we, are, we are doomed to repeat those same things of just like our, our frenetic, constant, like, uh, hyperactive action we think will fix things and we're only just burning ourselves out. Yeah, we need to be tethered to something yes. in order to have something that sustains our hope. And so to answer this question of does our longing make a difference this morning, I want to answer it with a yes and. Mm -hmm. 
Because yes, our longings make a difference and we must be prepared to follow through with actions that align with those longings. So for some of us, the reminder here may be the active piece. And for some of us, it may actually be the, the tethering, the yes. rootedness, the knowing which words you're singing and which words you're speaking and what you're reading, that that is all coming from a tradition of liberation that you can be rooted in. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be navigating the world in some untethered, unsustainable way where we're swept up in busyness instead of being grounded. Mm. Mary's song of praise, it's really interesting, leads the, the shepherds and the angels to also sing songs of praise too. Mm. And so I think that this just shows how deeply the words that we sing and we pray and we proclaim matter because they provide this opportunity to be rooted in hope. And, and even the idea, like we're talking about all the beauty in, in the, the content of Mary's song, but like what is Mary's song most foundationally? It's a worship, a praise, a, 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 like I am bursting with love because I feel connected with the God who sees me. And that is like, that's, that's talking about that rootedness. That's talking yes. about that tetheredness. Yes. And it's this, the words she's singing are communal, but what she's, the process of actually singing it is so deeply personal. Personal at the same time. Yeah. Yes. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Well, as we close today, um, I would love to close this in prayer. And this is actually, my sister-in-law, Steph, sent me a poem earlier this week from Rilke's Book of uh, Hours mm. that I would love to read for us as a prayer over our longings this morning. So if you want to settle into your seat, take some deep breaths, and really bring to mind what you are longing for, whether in your own life or as we talked about how those longings can ripple out to communal longings, what are you longing for? God speaks to each of us as he makes us, then walks with us silently out of the night. These are the words we dimly hear. You, sent out beyond your recall, go to the limits of your longing. Embody me, flare up like a flame, and make big shadows I can move in. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Don't let yourself loose me. Nearby is the country they call life. You will know it by its seriousness. Give me your hand. Emmanuel, God with us, as we experience both beauty and terror, I'm grateful for the push and pull of your call that the Christmas story is an invitation into liberation. Mary's song is an invitation into liberation. Would you be our tether, the sustainer of our hope? Would our longings join with your justice and your peace? And along the way, would we find rest and restoration in you? Amen.